Thank you, Stephanie, for reading. Thank you, Kathy, for leading us in worship and music. What a great morning. My name is Dee. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and uh, privileged to uh, take us into this passage of Scripture. Um, about 10 years ago, the first or second year I was here, I did an exercise with the uh, crowd for Sunday morning, kind of an um, audience participation moment that didn't go over real well, so we're going to try it again 10 years later and see if it goes over any better. I don't forget those moments. Um, it actually arises both out of the passage that just read, but maybe a little bit more so out of another one of the readings for this morning, the reading that comes out of Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus chapter 16, we find that um, this interaction between God and God's people states over and over and over and over again that the people of God were grumbling. And the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, often describe one of the characteristics of those who are following God as being either grumblers, mutterers, or murmurers. A great description of God's people. Isn't that fantastic? We have uh, accepted this uh, incredible grace from God, been invited to be called children of God, and that's how we get described. Not by those who are looking on. We get described that way by God. In the New Testament, Jesus looks at the people and acknowledges that that's what some of them are doing or at least the writers do. And so this morning I wanted to depict us at our best. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'm going to divide this group into uh, three sections. Oh, it's already done. That works out perfect. First section, this section, and this section. And this section right here, you're going to be my grumblers. So I want you to, yeah, some of you are already there. That's great. No problem. <laughs> already at it. So um, this, this morning, what I want you to do, I want you to think about something that you can just kind of grumble about. I'm going to give you a few moments because I'm going to give instructions to the other two groups as well. So I want you to think of what it is that just is kind of upsetting to you this past week. And I want you to actually engage in a few moments in verbally out loud grumbling about it loud enough so that several people around you can hear. I'm not much of a... Um, a music person, but I was, one of my favorite things is watching people direct, and I, I'd like to actually direct this, you know, like a musical piece, and so that if I give the crescendo that you get louder, you do that lower, and then eventually I'll cut you off. But think about what you want to grumble about. If there's nothing on your mind, then my admonition to you would be to just say the word grumble, 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 grumble over and over and over again, because the word perfectly fits what this gesture sounds like. Okay, over here, this group, you're going to be my mutterers. Um, so when I give you the signal to start and join in with the grumblers, they're going to get us started first. I want you to mutter. Now, mutterers typically have this interesting little inflection. It's usually kind of under the breath, but then there's this kind of louder emphasis that happens. So I just may be muttering about something that just gets me so mad about something that is... That's kind of what muttering is all about, Okay. You want others to notice so that they'll ask, but you don't want to come right out and say it. So you do these things, like emphasize a particular word 
hoping that somebody will pick up on it. So think about what it is that you want to mutter about. And if for some reason, and I can't imagine this, but you can't think of something to mutter about as if you haven't done it already this week, um, then just use the word mutter, but you have to give it that kind of emphasis. You're going mutter, 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 mutter. Now, it's not mother, unless that's what you're muttering about is your mother, which is okay. But it's muttering, okay? Might be a nice cover for you if it is about your mother. You can just pretend like you're muttering. Okay, murmurers. Murmurers, um, complainers, probably a great um, synonym for this is whiners, okay? So we need some whining to take place. I have to confess that I'm actually part of this group this morning because before first service, I was out in the little uh, vestibule area outside the Ellipse Chapel, and I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but um, the person who was behind the welcoming desk said, Pastor, are you whining this morning? So, yeah, this is my group, so I have found a home. I'm with you. Um, you need to make sure as you're whining, whining usually takes a little bit of a higher pitch. So it's just kind of that irritating tone. You know, that is what we're looking for with whining. So you need to think about what you whine about. If you can't come up with anything, then just say the word whine, whine, whine over and over again, but get a little bit higher pitch. Okay? You can even do hand gestures if you want. Okay? So get ready, because we're going to come join you. Grumblers, I assume you're ready to go. So begin grumbling. A little bit louder than that. Yeah, they, there we go. That's what I call it. Grumble about the kind of thing. We're going to add the mutterers in. Keep coming. Yes, yes. <laughs> nice. 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 Great. And the whiners. Yes. <laughs> whiny, 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 whiny. A little bit louder. A little bit louder. Okay. Cut. Okay. Cut. Everybody cuts. This is too easy for you. Oh, my word. And welcome to the children of God. This is what the comment is in Scripture of grumblers, mutterers, and murmurers. Seriously, can you believe that that's how God's followers get described over and over and over again? No, you're not surprised. It is easy for us to move from a posture of being recipients of God's grace and God's forgiveness, and then all of a sudden to shift into our thoughts and notions of entitlement or our uh, rights being stomped on or what it is that circumstances have done to us or what's not going right. It is so easy to shift our perspective and find ourselves really on the wrong side of what it means to depict the kingdom of God. Because I'm wondering what people think when they hear those who proclaim a faith give voice to the grumbling and muttering in their journey. I'm not so sure that that's the kind of faith I want to buy into, that I want to hear. So I bring this up because we're coming to a chapter, first chapter in Philippians. And this first chapter 
tells us some of the characters of the story concerning this letter. We have the authors who are Timothy and Paul. And they are writing to all of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ in Philippi. I'm not exactly sure why they need to make this clarification, but after they have identified the audience, they go on to say, and this includes all of the board members, pastors, and staff. As if somehow the board members, pastors, and staff wouldn't be listening to what Paul had to say, but he's making it very clear that this is not just for the church people and excluding all others. I want the rest of you to hear this as well, those who think you know it all already. Please listen up, because there's something here for all. So these are the players, Paul, Timothy, the followers of Jesus Christ in Philippi, including all the board members, pastors, and staff. You can see that in the opening few verses of chapter 1. Why the exercise that we did? Well, if there's anybody, anybody at all in Scripture who would seem to have the right or have earned the place to grumble, mutter, or murmur, it's Paul. Particularly in the situation he's in right now. His visit to Philippi, you can find in Acts chapter 16, though it was a good visit, and you can tell by this letter that some great things happened, was a very difficult visit. He had some opposition, which is not all that uncommon for Paul. But then as a result of the opposition, he got thrown into jail, which resulted in some interesting circumstances where he was put in chains and stocks. He was beaten, mistreated in a variety of ways, and then told to leave. Probably injured during that time. A long walk then from there to Thessalonica. So that was tough. But he's writing right now from prison, likely in chains in prison. And the sentence for his crimes against, well, we're not really sure who the crimes are against because he's in jail for his faith. But it's pretty likely that he might be put to death. Put to death for simply believing something. So if there's a person in this storyline who seems to have the resume, the, I mean, we would kind of acknowledge, you deserve some space here to grumble, mutter, whine. And yet, the one who sets for us an amazing standard is this same person, Paul. This is what he says. He says, I've got to tell you, I thank my God every time I think about you. In fact, every time I pray for you, I just have this overwhelming sense of joy. Really, Paul, your optimism is going to irritate me. It is amazing his posture in this moment. Praying for the people at Philippi, being filled with joy for the people at Philippi. 
I was um, interviewed this last week for a San Diego magazine. The person was simply asking about our church. I had uh, the privilege, as I've told you many times, to tell this person that uh, even if I wasn't the pastor of this church, this is the church that I'd want to attend. He seems startled by that. He interviews pastors for a living. I'm, I don't know if he doesn't hear that very often or not, but uh, it certainly is the way I feel. In the midst of the interview, he asked me a couple questions that seemed a little bit out of left field. This one wasn't way out in left field, but I didn't anticipate it. Um, he said, uh, so can you tell me, I'd love to know where you have seen or found God in the oddest circumstance, the most unlikely place. And um, as a preface to this, I actually, um, and I wasn't sure if, if uh, this particular magazine had ever interviewed Dean Nelson, but um, Dean's book about God hiding in plain sight, I quoted the title of that and said, we've got somebody in our congregation who's written this book, and that title is one of the things that I believe deeply, that if I start looking for God, God ends up being in plain sight, and I just needed to be paying attention. So that is the preface. I told him a situation that had happened in the previous week. It had actually been about a two-week span where um, I was in the midst of making um, too many visits to cell phone stores or places that sold cell phones. I told him, and I'll tell you, that I think cell phones are just kind of a necessary evil. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of cell phones, but I don't know how you navigate um, our culture without using one. For those of you that have managed to do that, I applaud you. I think that's great. Um, but I was feeling like it was necessary to continue, but I didn't want to continue with the particular program that I had been on. It felt too expensive, too frustrating, a number of things. And just by um, procrastination, I had been with a company for far too many years. So this resulted in 10 visits to four different locations to hear too many people talk about things that just frustrated me. I, and there are times when it was frustrating because I just didn't understand what was being said. Not, and I don't think it's because I'm completely incompetent. I don't think that's it. I just think that it's intentionally illegible. I, I had one salesperson who said to me, and maybe this makes perfect sense to you, but it was talking about, I don't know if it was a plan or a phone, I forget which, but she said, yeah, I believe that came out last year or this year. I didn't even know how to respond to that. That didn't make any sense to me at all. So much so that I just, I nodded. I go, okay, well, thank you. And I left. I, I didn't even, I didn't know if it was a sales pitch. I, uh, so anyway, I came to the end of this journey. I, I didn't know it was going to be the end. I thought this actually was going to be hell for me and never end is what kind of what it felt like. But on this 10th visit, um, this uh, young man by the name of uh, Steve um, interacted with me, and it was it was uh, incredibly redemptive. In that, he was just simply kind, straightforward, and patient. I, I was kind of thrown off by that, and I've told you before what I think kindness does. I think kindness is a miracle-working attribute. 
And that's all it was. It wasn't anything deeply profound. Just kind and straightforward and patient. I said all of that before. I just wanted to emphasize that. At the end of the journey, I, I went to another location and I sought out his manager. And the person asked me, why didn't you see, didn't you need to see a manager? I said, I, I need to talk to someone about something that happened in electronics. And I kind of said it that way, you know. So I think she contacted the manager and said, I think we've got a live wire out here. You need to come and help with this. So the manager came over, and he seemed a little bit nervous and approached me. And um, I started off kind of being a little grumbly and muttery. And I said, yeah, I just needed to tell you about something that took place in electronics. I just felt that you as the manager needed to know this. And then I said, uh, you've got an employee back there. I think his name is Steve. Um, I don't know that uh, I've ever had anybody, particularly in the process of the last two weeks, that has treated me with more kindness than he did. And I just want you to know that if I could steal him away from you as an employee and I had a position to give him, I would love to do that. And he, the manager relaxed and calmed down and looked at me and said, now what again? And so I told him, and he thanked me for relaying the story. So I say all of that to say that as I'm responding to this interview, I said, so in that moment, whether Steve knew it or not, that was God to me. It was in the midst of all of this other white noise and stuff that um, something really special touched me and changed my whole perspective. Paul in First Corinthians, uh, first in the first chapter of Philippians, is modeling this very thing. This exact kind of attribute. His outlook makes no sense. But in prison, in chains, apparently under house arrest, he might be able to get some visitors, uncertain about what the future is going to look like. He writes to the people at Philippi, and he says, I just got to tell you, it is just one of the highlights of my day to even think about you. I pray for you, I'm filled with joy. Um, I, I've got to tell you this, I know that my imprisonment wasn't intended to produce this, but I've gotten to share the good news with the prison guards. Who would have thought that was going to happen? They threw me in jail thinking they'd just kind of quiet me, and then, then the prison guards found out that I was in jail because of my faith, and I got to share my faith with them. Who would have thought? That's a little bit of a paraphrase on my part, but you read the first couple of paragraphs. That's what it says. So he finds in the midst of his circumstances this amazing way by which to praise God. He then goes on to say in verse 21, a rather startling statement. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So keep in mind again what the circumstances are. He's imprisoned, so to live is likely to continue this journey of being chained, of not having the opportunity to fulfill what he thought he was called to do, a life calling. But what he says about continuing to live is, 
I get to keep doing what I'm doing, and there's the chance, there's the possibility that I'll get a chance to see you again. And that'll be like the best of the best. So if I'm not put to death, let me tell you what the good is in that. I got to admit that there's also the possibility that they're going to put me to death. But if that's the case, that's even better. Now keep in mind, Paul never had a chance to walk side by side with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He saw Jesus in the vision, filled with Christ's spirit, and so his daily walk is certainly with Christ, but never had the chance like the other disciples to sit down at the table, to walk along the seashore with the physical Christ. And it's as if Paul is saying, boy, when I die, I'm going to actually get to be with Jesus. I mean, I am with him now, but I get to be there again. Can't imagine how great that's going to be. But until that comes, I have Christ now. How great is that? And I might even get a chance to see you again. This is Paul's perspective. What an amazing way to look at life and death and life that's in death. Paul is saying to the people, because he goes toward the end of this chapter to talk about the suffering that they have. And he says, I, I want you to look deeper into this. The things that you're suffering, I acknowledge it. It's, it's not easy. I mean, they're, they're suffering for some of their expressions of faith, right along as Paul is suffering. But he's saying to them, I, I want you to take a different perspective on that. I, I want you to consider how it might give you insight as to how Christ suffered. In fact, he talks about his prayer for the people at Philippi. He says, I, I pray that your love will abound more and more. And, and I typically just kind of stop there with that verse, with that prayer, because that's pretty wonderful. I think I was startled when I realized that that's not the finish of the sentence. Because that's typically the, the piece that sticks with me, that resonates. I am praying that your love will abound more and more. But he very specifically says that the way by which it grows more and more is through knowledge and depth of insight. That's an odd mixture. I mean, love has this kind of uh, wonderful emotional component. Jesus I just care for you. I feel like we've connected. I, I, I would want love to grow more here where we are, and it's, we'll all just kind of hold hands, and it's great. And I'm not saying that it doesn't contain that, but Paul is saying that love pushes us into greater knowledge and more depth of insight, because if it doesn't, then love sits on the surface 
as kind of a coat of paint, like we talked about last week. But the kind of love that God calls us to is that we might have greater insight and understanding. It calls us to step into somebody else's shoes and see their journey from their perspective. It calls us to try and see the world through a different set of eyes. It calls us to look at all of the language and begin to read between the lines and see something bigger that's going on. It calls us to hear with ears that don't get caught up in the chatter back and forth. Because I've got to tell you, we've made an art form in this country out of grumbling, muttering, and murmuring. It has become the new norm. It is the way by which we portray our news. It is the way by which we comment about the things that are going on in the world. It is the way we discuss over the table. It is a posture of grumbling, murmuring, and muttering that we very often have bought into. And Paul is saying that love calls you to move past those things and allow God's spirit to give you insight, depth of insight, where you can begin to talk about root causes. You can begin to talk about solutions that transcend a, a block of time right now. This is Paul's call that love moves us into the things that take time to study, to reflect, to interact, so that love might lead us to solutions that will never be gotten to if we simply stay at that place where we were at the beginning where everybody was grumbling, muttering, and murmuring. Paul says, I know you're suffering, but I, I want you to think of this suffering as a way by which you might relate to Christ. That you might understand Christ's journey a little bit better. This is part of a four-chapter series in Philippians. Each week, just taking a different chapter, one, two, three, and four. And the overall theme of this is that this is a story about the character of the church. And so in bringing this to a close, I, I would just like to draw out what I think this is saying to us about the character of the church. First, I just want to point out that it is impossible to read Philippians without hearing Paul say over and over and over again, Christ is at the center of everything. That's what this book is about. Christ is at the center. Christ is at the center of ethics. Christ is at the center of theology. Christ is at the center of knowledge. Christ is at the center of love. Christ is at the center of my life, is what Paul is saying. Christ is the center of all things. And so for Paul, his search is to find Christ in all things. So all of this movement that I've been talking about this morning is to move to a place where you start looking for Christ in circumstances that are difficult, in suffering that's sometimes painful, in, in situations 
that seem to have no redeeming value. So my question is, do you really believe that God can redeem all things? If so, then start looking for God in all things. It's not to say that I, I don't think there isn't evil in the world, because I think that that is true. But I don't buy into this notion that there is this neck-and-neck uh, -neck race between good and evil. Christ died on the cross, and the resurrection has taken place. The victory has already been proclaimed. There may be things that have not yet come to full fruition yet, but he's saying to the church at Philippi, live as if you know that victory has already taken place. So start looking for where Christ may be in the midst of redemption work because it's happening everywhere. Instead of grumbling about what has not yet been redeemed, look for where God is at work redeeming and then join in in that place. And Paul models it for us. This prisoner in chains is proclaiming to the church at Philippi, be united in this. We need to have Christ at the center. That's why our mission statement is to lift up Christ. That we might be a place that is constantly at search, calling out where Christ is in the midst. I acknowledge that sometimes Paul's optimism can just be on the edge of a little irritating, just whine a little bit, Paul. And we'll find some places where he calls out his own circumstances. This is not a call to be inauthentic. This is not a call to pretend that things aren't difficult. But when that authenticity and calling out of what's difficult then becomes our default mindset, We have stepped away from being purveyors of God's kingdom and we have bought into a culture. We move from that authentic God hears what's hard back to hope in Christ. This is painful, Lord. Now help me to see how you might be at work. This was not what I expected the last two years were going to be like. But now, Lord, help me to see the ways in which you can work all things to good. This tripped me up. I fell flat on my face. In the midst of that embarrassment, Lord, is it possible that you could still be glorified? Yes, it is, Lord. Help me to step into those places. The church, first and foremost, sees Christ at the center of all things. Then we are a place that needs to move from whatever grumbling, murmuring, and muttering might be our typical posture into a place where we look for God's redemptive action at work. God's touch in the midst so that we might be where Paul says, I find myself full of joy every time I think about what God is doing in Philippi. I know that some of us were in chains. I know that they threw the stocks on some of us. I know that there were some beatings. I know the circumstances. I just can't believe what's happened as a result of that. Look at you. 
incredible. And that's why I pray for you every day. Because I find my joy disincreases when I take that posture in my life. Father in heaven, this morning, you're not calling us to gloss over things, to pretend things aren't the way they are, but instead, in the midst of things as they are, to see you. So when we pray, Lord, hear our petitions. Hear our cries for help. But also, Lord, hear our praises and our thanksgiving. Hear our requests that things might change. But hear also, or at least may your spirit begin to move us to a place where we can say, help us to see you in the midst. Whether this direction or this other direction, Lord, help us to find you right there. Thank you for giving us this wonderful testimony of the good news in Philippians. May Paul challenge us. May we dwell there this week. May it move us to thoughts of redemption and grace, of transformation and renewal. May somehow it lead us to joy that we might be your church, lifting you up and finding you again and again right in front of us. Oh, thank you, Lord. We praise your name. Amen.